Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, in a shocking turn of events, I'm going to start this week's podcast by asking you a question, forcing you to answer it. Naturally. I wouldn't expect anything less. This one's easy to answer. It's just a boom, one or the other answer. It's not like a come up with an answer on your own. It's not a extremely nebulous question that doesn't really have an answer. I just have an important question for you. McGriddle or McMuffin? <laughs> uh, never had a McGriddle. What? So See, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to be a McMuffin this. guy. You just have McMuffin energy about you. <laughs> That's, I don't even I don't even know what that means, but that sounds like, I don't know. That sounds, sounds like per- the meanest thing hurtful. I've ever said to you on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Really? You've never had a McGriddle? Come on. Yeah, dude. I don't know. What to, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I've this never is not been Spawn, a... by the way. I know we've tweeted in the past that McDonald's is the official burger place of tipping pitches, but right. that no, was this is that this was a is, joke. This is out of the. This is kind of out of the blue. Yeah, dude. I've McDonald's never been a big like, I mean, we, we have some ad spots open. I've never been a big McDonald's like breakfast food kind of guy. Yeah. Like, I don't. I don't know. That's just like a little too early in my day. To start, like anytime McDonald's, anytime before, like I don't know, six p.m. is a little like I don't know if my body is entirely ready to just like throw like, the rest what of would the day you out consider, the window. What would you consider before six p.m.? Because I've seen you eat McDonald's at like four thirty a.m. Like that's almost breakfast hours there, my <laughs> friend. That's fair. You got me there. I don't have a response to that. What was the What was the genesis of this question? Friend of the pod, Matt Ritchie, who plays baseball at johns hopkins uh, and follows us and uh he's a wonderful twitter follow uh he just tweeted the mcgriddle is better than mcmuffin and i was like you're goddamn right it is and i saw it earlier and i just thought who in my life would i want to talk about this with on a podcast well i only have one podcast and there's only one person i'd want to talk about this with and both of those answers are you so i feel like i bring it up is that is that a controversial take like i'm not d- d- steeped in mcdonald's lore and you know like like sides but i thought the mcgriddles were pretty highly regarded glad you asked i feel like i have a good grasp okay. on the answer here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think that if you're with it the mcgriddle is obviously the right answer like if you're with right. it you know if you're down if you know what you're talking about yeah because i would choose the mcgriddle as well just for the for posterity but I think that the McMuffin is like what made McDonald's hot, like what made McDonald's breakfast hot. So it's sort of like Babe Ruth versus Barry Bonds, you know, Barry Bonds, obviously better player, but Babe Ruth was the one who did it first. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's baseball players as McDonald's menu items coming up next, folks. This feels like 2017 tipping pitches. Um. Okay, we well, we have a bunch to get to. Uh, we have a conversation with uh, our friend Shocker Saman, who is a, an incoming associate editor at Baseball Prospectus, but is coming on to share a wild theory about perfect games that he's had for a while and I've wanted to do on this podcast for quite some time. Uh, and then we're also going to talk about the Super League a little bit with him and how it relates to Major League Baseball. Uh, we'll do three up, three down. We'll talk a little bit about the 
Players Association meeting with the owners. And of course, A-Rod gave an exclusive to our man, Bob Nightingale, so we have to discuss that. All of that is coming up, but before we get to it, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Basley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Alex, Bob Nightingale got the exclusive. Messed up. Messed up that he didn't pass on it and say, you know, I've got a couple buddies over there in the in the podcasting sphere who who really deserve this sit down. This one-on-one. like, what do we have to do, dude? What do we have to do? Every single week of the show, we get on here, we turn the mics on, they're hot, and we talk about Alex Rodriguez. Yeah, and we still can't get him on the show. Now we haven't asked. Right, that's what I was going to say. What do we have to do? That's probably the first thing that we should. Get give a try but let's just be honest like if we asked then it wouldn't be as pure you know i want him to come to us <laughs> you don't want to seem desperate <laughs> you want him i'm to willing want to seem to desperate here. for bernie sanders whom we've asked via email and also live on the air several times and if you're listening bernie or anybody who works for him he can still come on you know minor league baseball just as fucked up as ever <laughs> that's so true uh no this uh so so alex rodriguez Gave an exclusive interview to our boy Bob Nightingale Just at USA pitches, Today. Tipping pitches Mad Libs right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I One of my... <laughs> this is like the... It's textbook like was just given, you know, access interview like journalism 101 where the article is very clearly just like paragraph that intros A-Rod's quote and then direct A-Rod quote and then another paragraph that just intros the quote and then it's right so it's like not exactly a transcript but it's effectively just a transcript right you're just taking what A-Rod said and just like what is the hook like what is the why was he given this interview you know that's a a good question I he's had a lot going on What's the headline? Can you read the He's headline for me? Headline is after Let's break whirlwind... this down as the editors that we are. You know, yeah, at our core, yeah. we're just editors. <laughs> so after whirlwind month, Alex Rodriguez talks about the state of game, comma Dodgers Padres rivalry. That's the headline. That is the headline. Wow, see, people get sloppy these days with yeah. online headlines. Think about trying to fit that into a print headline, USA mm-hmm. Today. You're ostensibly yeah. supposed to be a newspaper company. <laughs> That's like fifty characters. That's like that's like fifty words, let alone characters. That's like two hundred eighty characters. You can't even fit that in a tweet. Welcome to the internet, Bobby. That's oh this is God. headlines one on one. Just be just be glad it wasn't two sentences. We're all getting sloppy. Alex Rodriguez say. had a divorce with Jennifer Lopez. Then came the Timberwolves. <laughs> you won't believe what happened next. <laughs> so the the. The, the intro to this article kind of outlines that he's had a uh, crazy last month. He's had a divorce and he bought a uh, sports franchise. They didn't divorce, I, just a breakup. They were never uh, married. Just a breakup. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, there are many choice quotes in here. There are many not choice quotes in here, too. I mean, you know, we could talk all day about how A-Rod just says the shortstops today are unbelievable. It's a galaxy of stars out there. Which he would have he done well right. on the first couple episodes on the of the show. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but he did have some interesting quotes that I wanted to I wanted to pull out and get some fast reactions from you, Bobby. First of all, let's start with one that's close to home to both you and I. Social media. Alex Rodriguez talking about today's stars and the access to social media. He goes, 
I love that players are not afraid to speak their mind and to communicate what's passionate and important to them. Right on. We love that. Times have changed, and that's not a bad thing. Technology has changed, too. Spitting spitting facts here. Uh, Back in the day, you'd have to work with your team to make a statement. Now it can be midnight, and you can send out a tweet before you go to bed if you're feeling it. Wow, A-Rod advocating for tweeting at midnight. That's, yeah. I mean, this is how social media works. That's for sure. You can just tweet. You can get on and tweet there. A-Rod discovers social media. Reason to write an exclusive article in USA Today. You know, he's not a prolific tweeter yet. I wonder if that's coming down the pipeline. It's just not his kind of posting. It really like, is not it's his not, kind of posting. It's not personal enough. Right. His face isn't on it. No, exactly. It's okay. also, in Twitter really prioritizes, among many things, like, you know, the downfall of democracy. Twitter prioritizes, like, short quips that are, like, incisive. Mm-hmm. Which, as we know, A-Rod, is, that's not his specialty. He just kind of like says the same thing over and over again with like out ever really landing on one side of the one side or the other, which yeah. is not what Twitter is for. He, his Twitter presence would be like Magic Johnson adjacent. Yeah. Well, it's also like you just open yourself up for getting dunked on like more than any other platform. A-Rod had a quote on his Instagram story the other day that was like it was like the it was something like the you know, the poorest man is the one who only has money. And I'm like, that's that's quite something to say for a near billionaire. I I feel like like A Rod like built a whole personality around like 2007 bumper stickers, and then yeah. just wrote it out. Like he was mm-hmm. like, mm, this is what I want to do. Yeah, just Twitter, uh, just like Tumblr post energy. That's yeah. what he's got going. Like on. like cursive text over like a sepia toned forest picture. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's next? <laughs> okay, we've got some more good ones in here. Uh, he hates the idea of moving the mound back. He compared it to if you were to move the, the basketball hoop 10 and a half feet. Move it's it up not, 10 and a half feet in basketball, it's, which... It's not the worst comparison. I guess it's not the worst comparison, although 10 and a half feet is a lot different than one foot. I also think... Yeah, well, that's true, uh, percentage-wise. I also think, like, He's not looking at the reason that they're moving. They would be moving each thing. Like nobody's like, there's too many dunks. Mm-hmm. The rim's too low. It's too easy to dunk. Everybody's yeah. dunking too much. Like if, if the basket was ten and a half feet, I don't think that would stop Steph Curry from making threes. Yeah, right. Um, here we get into some meaty stuff. A Rod's got some takes about the hashtag state of the game. Yes, he goes. I think the way the game is being taught today is conducive to a slow, boring game. You got pitchers taught to throw as hard as you can while, while compromising movement and location. The art and science of hitting and pitching has gone away. The art and science of hitting and pitching has gone away, according to <laughs> Alex Rodriguez. It's like golf. You drive for show, but putt for dough. Okay. I don't get uh, that. But in baseball... Just not going to pretend to understand <laughs> golf metaphors on this podcast. Sorry. <laughs> if you can't bunt a ball 40 feet or make contact, how are you helping your team? Okay, hot take. There's a kernel of truth in what he's saying. Right. That he, he is hitters right. need to make con- contact. That Well, that hitters need to make contact. But he's right in that the way the game is being taught is reinforcing all of these trends that we're seeing. Like he, There is a definite link between you know, perfecting the craft at a young age and siloing kids into one 
either pitcher only or hitter only or whatever. And that is having a direct effect on what we're seeing in baseball. So he's he's right in that sense. I mean, some of the like some of the stuff about how like pitchers are not being taught like location. I'm like, dude, who are you watching? Like, are you watching Garrett Cole? Are you watching Shane Bieber? Mm-hmm. Are you watching DeGrom? Are you what like that's not are you watching Strowman? I'm just naming a bunch of pitchers that I've watched in the last week. Like, it's that's not true. But his general point. And this is the thing with A-Rod. Like, his general point is usually right because he's never making a specific point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and his, his whole idea is, you know, just, just go back to, to playing baseball the way that baseball was meant to be played. You know? It's played, it's played on the field. It's not played in a front office. Again, and, I, need I remind everyone, this is someone who hit 680 home runs in his career. Right. And like did like played the long ball version of the game that we're seeing today. Not a contact hitter. A Rod is not like no Wally Beckman here. Like what? Are, what are we talking about? He goes. All of this velocity and exit velocity is fine and cute, but the game would be better if we put away all of the electronics today. There's a place for numbers and saber metrics, but it can't oh control the game. God. You have to make decisions in the moment because the game is played with emotion and a human heart not a spreadsheet. That's just like wow. such, it's such a false dichotomy. You know what I mean? Like, you know who hits the ball hard? Fernando Tatis. You know who cares that he hits the ball hard? The Padres. That's why they gave him $340 million. Like, it's not one or the other. And we're we're just limiting ourselves. We're limiting the discourse, which is obviously not surprising because all discourse is limited, especially in baseball media. But like, Tatis is upending the way that we feel about how entertaining baseball can be in this current moment. And he is also good for all of the quote-unquote sabermetric reasons that, you know, baseball nerds love. Like, he is hitting the ball harder than anyone in baseball. He has better sprint speed than anybody, you know, anybody in baseball. We can appreciate someone through many avenues. And I feel like Guys like A-Rod are like, no, like if, if you're talking about numbers, then we can't appreciate what we're seeing aesthetically on the game. That's just not true. Like, just just dream a little bigger, my friend. Yeah. Come on well, this podcast and, and talk about it, Alex. Come yeah, on. Right. Well, it's also, you know, saying, oh, we got to, you know, it's played on the field. It's not played on a spreadsheet. It's played with the heart. Like, let's put the electronics away, et cetera. Discounts how important these aspects have been to like the revitalization of players careers finding players who can ultimately end up being stars in the big leagues like yeah it's easy to just be like you know why don't you just go out there and throw stop looking at film stop looking at your spin rate but like these are things that objectively you can utilize to make yourself a better player he says you can make a decision at 9 15 p.m instead of doing something that's decided at 9 15 in the morning he just wants he just wants managers to make decisions like in game, not not with the GM at the beginning of the day. But like I, once again, this is like a bit of a, a straw man argument. No one is saying yes. I think that I think that Bob Melvin should decide prior to the A's game the order of relievers that are is going to come in and how many pitches they're going to go, and we're going to put in Adam Kolarek in the you know, middle of the eighth, as opposed to starting him in a clean inning. Like all of this is suggesting that managers just didn't have a plan before. Like what they had a plan. They just deviate from it less or the plan was worse before. Now the plan is better. So what a rod is basically arguing for is no more Justin Turner's 
don't don't revitalize your career mm-hmm. like that that's dumb people he are also, still making what, the decisions in the moment you know what the players have to do still hit it yeah <laughs> just because like still throw it you know yes like just yeah. because garrett cole thinks about his spin rate in december does not mean that he doesn't have to go out there in may and throw 99 if A-Rod did, would like to come on this podcast and expand on his ideology that baseball should just get back to to being played the way it's meant to be played with a with a bat and a ball and some and some boys no thoughts and no, no thoughts just no thoughts no exit velocity mhm please come on we open form right here okay we're going to get to our conversation with shocker which um was a lot of fun but before we do, I, I just wanted to mention briefly that we got word from ESPN's Jeff Passan that the MLB Players Association and owners met for their first official negotiation heading into next year's expiration of the collective bargaining agreement. We didn't get a lot of, uh, we didn't get like any leaks from this. Don't know what they talked about. But in reading the tea leaves, because this is what we do here, Alex. There's a paragraph in the passing article that I want to read to you very quickly because there's he he sets up the whole situation by talking about what has happened since the last CBA, what has happened more broadly in this century in baseball, and he outlines a lot of things that we talk about every week on this show. In that the labor piece that we've seen since 1994 has led to the biggest growth in the baseball economy in the history of the sport. And though it can seem hard to understand that sometimes because owners are crying poor all the time and using their massive PR machines to make it seem like they're not making any money at all. um, I'm glad that he laid that context out because then at the bottom of, of this article, and here's the paragraph that I'll read, he says, quote, an overhaul of baseball's core economic system is highly unlikely, sources said, citing the limited amount of time to strike a deal and keep labor peace uninterrupted since 1995. The union nevertheless intends to target spending and competitive integrity, particularly the promotion of competition by all teams among its priorities with a new deal. Players are also in favor of funneling money to players earlier in their careers, the potential for free agency before six years of service, and a solution to, or at least remedy of, service time manipulation. So, it's a little bit of a contradictory paragraph. An overhaul of baseball's core economic system is unlikely, yet players are pushing for free agency before six years of service and a remedy to service time manipulation and a way to funnel money to them earlier in their careers. I mean, that reads to me like ain't shit happening with the minor leaguers, but we might get a year of service time knocked off and we might have to just accept that as the compromise deal unless they're going to strike. And this is all like targeted leaks. I know at this point, so we don't really know what's going on in those rooms, but An overhaul of baseball's core economic system is highly unlikely reads to me like no minor league union, no trying to push for them to be included in the union and no way to really get life-changing amounts of money to players for the first however many years of their career that their service time is being controlled. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's possible that they tackle kind of that uh, the three-year period of time where you're on a rookie contract, right? Where you could, you know, they could be the three most Pre-arb. Productive years of your career. Yeah, your pre-arb years, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, it could be knocking a year off of um, your you know, the, your first six years of service time, although a part of me thinks that that may not be likely if they're going for 
if they're trying to funnel money to the first years of players' careers, um, I think they would probably look at the the kind of front end, right, where they're basically making pennies compared to what they're actually producing from a value from a baseball perspective. Um, but I think you're right that like each one of these suggestions likely means we're going to fall somewhere between that and what we have right now, right? Which, as you say, means no overhaul of the arbitration system, unlikely to get any minor league unionization, although that doesn't mean that they're not, I don't think, going to going to push for um, something like that. I mean, just from talking to people on here on this podcast, we know that that's kind of a, these are conversations that are that are ongoing. And minor league unionization doesn't have to come along with a CBA. Like if they want to be included in the same players association, then yes, it would have to kind of line up. However, like they can just make their own union at any point. And if they win 50% of the vote plus one vote, then they have to start parking with the minor leaguers separately. Um, And it's their own headache to have two separate unions that they're negotiating against. We'll see. We know very little at this point. We will probably continue to know very little until things start to unfold over the course of the season. But my guess is they're going to want to keep a lot of this stuff under wraps. Okay. Let's go to our conversation with Shocker Simone. Every time I think that I've been taking the steps, you and got at me for making Alex, we are now joined by incoming associate editor at Baseball Prospectus. I believe this is the first place that that title has been said aloud for public consumption. Shocker Saman, my friend Shocker. Hello, sir. How are you? What's going on, buddy? Great to be here. Uh, I'm assuming that our our past means that you'll edit out any point where I say something possibly uh, that could get me into some, some legal trouble with our former employer. Yes, I'll edit out literally anything that you say that's borderline on any subject, except... Sick. The subject of your theory about perfect games in baseball, which is what you're here to share this week. Uh, you've been texting me every time there's a no-hitter or a perfect game or close, being like, <laughs> when's the time for the theory? When's the time for the theory? Well, it's here. It's here. So we're going to roll out the red carpet. We're not going to do any of the frills and niceties of a podcast usually. <laughs> and you're just going to share the theory. Let's do it. All right. So this is a thought experiment that I've been thinking about. Uh, ever since uh, we first talked about Casey Mize potentially being called up last year. And it basically goes like this. How many games, if a pitcher, every time they took the mound, pitched a perfect game, and they never made a single inning pitched outside of those starts, and those are the only starts in their entire season, and then by extension, their entire career, how many games would they have to play to A, win the Cy Young, and B, assuming that there are no like 10 season eligibility requirements make the hall of fame. So like if a no name prospect came in out of nowhere yeah. and he played X amount of games and then completely vanished off the face of the earth, what is the minimum amount of number of games played needed for that guy to win the award for best pitcher that season and then get enshrined in the hall of fame as one of the greatest to ever do it. So I'm glad that we waited a couple of months from when you initially shared this theory because my brain is mush and I had forgotten some of the nitty gritty details of it because I thought that it was like, what if a guy was just like league average the rest of his career, but ripped off four straight perfect games? Would he make the Hall of Fame? But this is like, what if he only had a peak? If, just if my a guy, peak. Exactly. If Bobby Wagner came out of nowhere and was signed to the Mets tomorrow, Nasty he made thrown 81 with no movement at all right down absolutely. the Absolutely. 
And somehow it fooled every single batter in the National League for a few games. What is the minimum number of games required for you to win awards or make the Hall of Fame? It's effectively the Sandy Koufax argument, just at its purest form. So I think we should tackle the, the easier question first, which is the, the answering the question about the Cy Young, right? Right, yeah, let's start at, there. Like, at that point, if a, cause if, a, if a guy pitches... 50 perfect innings is he really going to qualify for the site are they going to give him the site so there's, the there's no the qualification like, so yeah well, you gotta well, knock off the qualification yeah. no 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 but not even wouldn't. not even qualify like would you would you give it to that guy over jacob Degrom and his three wins and 1.7 era like i don't like i don't know maybe the guy would it have to be a dozen straight perfect games no, no a dozen way. is no so way. high bro you're, you're telling me of a guy when I'm, I, I think the number I said was like seven, mm-hmm. right? For the like Cy guy, Young, I for the Cy, I thought seven for the Hall of Fame. I think I, I think I said five or six for the Cy Young. If Bobby Wagner went out and pitched forty-five perfect innings in a row and then never threw another pitch, like it would be insane. Number one, that'd be the most com- consecutive. That would be almost a fifth of all perfect games ever thrown. <laughs> And Bobby would have done it in five straight starts. Like So it's a question of what would actually win it for them versus what should win it for them. I think it's right. more interesting to talk about what should win it for them because what would actually win it for them probably it would have to be a higher number because there would be so many writers being like, well, he didn't do it over the course of XYZ. And so he therefore he didn't assemble he as didn't much. He do it on more. a rainy day in Stoke. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that if you pitch three straight perfect games and then you're done for the season, you should win the Cy Young. Three straight perfect games is so statistically unlikely. For me, that's a that's the Cy Young right there. 27 innings pitched. What would that be? 81 batters faced up and down. Not a single base runner. Not a single a base runner. Now, do you think it would make a difference if those starts came consecutively or if you like you got hurt in air quotes and you had like three <laughs> weeks between them. Like you did this over a month and it's like, oh my God, this guy keeps doing it. Or if it was three in a row and you just let the legend build and then you just vanished off the face of the earth. Yeah, like the Avatar. Hmm. Yeah. I think that it would be a bigger story if you did it three straight times. Like, yeah, at, like in 15 days, you threw three perfect games. Alex, what do you think about the number three? Is that too low? That feels a little low for me. I'm not going to lie. Three like, fucking I'm not... perfect games, though? Really? Absolutely. Yes. No. <laughs> Incredible feat. What is, what is the question? What is the, 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 the question that Cy Young is trying to answer? Right? Like, what? Best. You had the best performance overall among all the pitchers in the league over the course of the year. Right? Like, I think, like, I think you would probably have to get into the range of what a reliever who has won the Cy Young might have to do. You know, like so like wise? maybe yeah. So like say it's 40 innings. 50 innings seems like a lot, right? Like that's but that's on the now we're at the case of like, yeah, if this guy had come in and pitched, you know, 57 consecutive innings of relief perfectly, like you absolutely would win the Cy Young, right? Hands down. If Kenley Jansen does that, he gets it. I think it's, I really fully think for a starter, it's like four games. I think 36 consecutive innings of perfection is enough for even like to, to win. Cause you don't have to win a unanimous amount. You just need a, a plurality, right? You right. need 
uh, first place votes plus one and to not be left off a bunch of ballots. Yeah. And I think we're trending in the point where like this season, if in three weeks, some like call up does that and then like if Matt Manning does that and then vanishes, like I genuinely think he'd win and it would be the most bonker shit ever to happen. (laughs) I'm absolutely certain that this would break baseball Twitter though, because there'd be people being like, how how the fuck could you not give it to the guy who threw four straight perfect games? That's, that's, you know, like Shocker said, one fifth of the perfect games of in the history of baseball consecutively. And then there would be people (laughs) like, well, clearly he didn't pitch enough innings and this is all small sample size. And then there would be the people in between who would just be like, are we just going to talk about the fact that this guy threw four straight perfect games? <laughs> right. <laughs> like just the spectacle. You See, have that's... think pieces about like breaking baseball. Yeah. That's where like my head is at. It's like I can't even think about whether or not he would, he should receive a, a very arbitrary award that like the three of us probably couldn't decide on the same definition for, right? Like we all have different things in our head that we're going for of like, what does it mean to be the best pitcher? And like, it's more interesting to me to be like, I'll tell you yeah, what it means to be the best pitcher. Three straight fucking perfect games. That's what it means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would, yeah. But like, but like that in itself is far more fast like whether or not you even get the Cy Young like three straight perfect games like Hall of like you almost have to carve out a a a special room in the Hall of Fame for this guy like does he get in as like an actual first ballot Hall of Famer he should I (laughs) it's possible but also you should just have like the the plaque where it's like this guy did fucking something unbelievable that no one will ever touch yeah it's like the fallout boy song title of plaques where it's like a sentence long like (laughs) This guy threw three straight perfect games and the collective baseball world was like, what the hell? I think the other part to kind of think about too is like, if I'm wrong, there's only been one guy to ever throw two consecutive no hitters. Mm-hmm. And it was like in the 1930s, Johnny Vandermeer. I also want to point out there was no Cy Young award back then, but he finished 18th in MVP voting that season. Doesn't matter because the 30s were just a different world. But so there's only been ever one guy who's done two straight no hitters, four straight perfect games. Like that's, <laughs> That's unreal. That's the dumbest thing that anyone has ever said out loud. Someone would write a great, great piece about like the pressure that came with that and it crumbled, making the guy crumble and oh like God. how There'd he could never get on a mound again. Like twenty years later, about yeah, about how his life unraveled after that because if he could never live up to that peak. <laughs> if literally anybody wrote that story now, other than me, I would file an injunction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is your intellectual property now. You came on Absolutely. tipping pitches and said it. Okay, so. I think it's three for Cy Young. Alex, what's a, what's a, what's your number for Cy Young? To clarify, is this the should or would? I, I think should. Okay. As in like well, we what, might as well not we do think. would because no one's ever thrown three perfect games in a row. So we should just do should. <laughs> right. Also, and I don't want to have to like get in the mind of like a handful of stodgy old baseball writers. Bob Nightingale. Us three talking what, what does he think about that? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go four or five. I'm also interested to see like what's... Like, what's within these perfect games? Like, was it, uh, you know, nine perfect innings with, like, two strikeouts? Like, I'm not that just ultimately... just a bunch of rockets Not that right ultimately I think stop. it really matters. Like, a perfect game's a perfect game. But, like, are these... Yeah, is it hard hit? Is it a bunch of, like, fly balls to the warning track? Or is he just mowing dudes down? Like, carry wood four games over. Again, I don't think it's, like, you know, like, like the... What was it? The softball pitcher who threw, like, 27 strikeouts a couple weeks ago? Right. Yeah. I don't think it's that. I think it's more like... Like Armando Galarraga's near perfect game would have been 83 pitches. It would have been the second most efficient game ever. I'm saying somewhere between that and like 
a four strikeout, 125 pitch affair. Like, there's a lot of variation. It's like if Kyle Hendricks threw four straight perfect games. Just like (laughs) dotting it up, not overwhelming, not disgusting breaking stuff, nothing like that. We'll say there's one of them has like six strikeouts. Another one has like 12. In one game, he might look like DeGrom. Uh, He'd probably have a very similar run production from his offense. (laughs) That's why he has to be perfect. Uh, Okay, so Shocker, what's your number for one season to win the Cy Young? I think it's... I think it should win is three. I think four to be really safe. I think at three, if a guy only throws 27 innings and they're all perfect, to me, I'd be like, there's no way he shouldn't win because that's unbelievable. But I think the the number is probably four to like really fully break that threshold where it's like, there is no argument against this. 36, like that's an unfathomably cool. Okay. So let's talk about Hall of Fame. There are... A lot of pitchers in the Hall of Fame who have had very, very long careers. This is obviously the exact opposite of that. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the list of the guys in the Hall of Fame. I do think that it would have to be some kind of exception. Because all of these guys are like bona fide, went out for like 20 straight years, sub sub 3-5 ERAs, won 20 games like 10 different times. So right. I do like think this, that it would have to be based some... based on the suspension of the 10-season the rule. Right, yes. like this and is, ten season rule. Like you're not looking at any of the like baseball reference. Like does he qualify or not? Because like from a statistical point of view, absolutely not. Right, you just have to say I saw with my own eyes this fucking unbelievable feat. Like yes. you had to be there to see it. Sorry. So right. this is yeah. Bobby came in. He threw X number of perfect games in a row, and then uh, un- his arm exploded, and he found God, and he just he left forever. They made and they make a plaque for me. And they, they, they wall it off. They put it under its own spotlight at the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. How many perfect games do I have to throw in order to get in? Seven. I think I think 10. I think the nice round number of two digits and people being able to just say, this guy threw 10 straight perfect games and then bounced. And never, never had another pitch in his life. Never had another pitch in his life. I actually think that would help. Like, I think if you never threw another pitch, it would help rather than if you had right. a normal career and then just 10 perfect games sprinkled in. I think that you, I feel like, I think that if, who's a, I think if Joe Blanton threw 10 perfect games in his career but had, an, had, had otherwise the same career, I don't know if he would get in. <laughs> but like 10, 10 consecutive ones? Just like in the middle of his otherwise <laughs> normal career. See, what's interesting for me is like, I almost think the Hall of Fame bar is l- not lower than Cy Young, but like, I think if you threw three or four straight perfect games, you already should have that spot in the Hall of Fame where it's like, yeah, you have a quarter of, or, you know, a fifth of all perfect games at this point, right? The sixth of all perfect games, whatever it would be. Like the, I don't know necessarily how they are current how they currently celebrate perfect games in the Hall of Fame, right? It's usually like the ball, the cleats, the hat, they just, you know, pull the jersey all off of it. your it's back like, and it's throw like the it mound, in. The mound, you right, know. Right. And, and 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 to be clear, I, what I mean by this is like you get 75% and the player gets inducted. Right. Like not the player just gets like inducted. a special like, little The Hall exhibit. of Fame ballot tracker has you above the 75% margin on anonymous and public ballots. And even the guys who are leaving ballots blank are just like, this shit's amazing. I have no idea what to say about it. Like, mm-hmm. 
I think your instinct about 10 is probably pretty smart, Bobby, just because like, as we all know, so much of this, like, yeah, a lot of it's resume, but so much of it's like narrative. Yes. Right. Like if we want to look at resume, like, yeah, you know, like Kurt Schilling and Barry Bond should probably be in the Hall of Fame, but the narrative means they're never going to get there. Yes. Barry Bond should actually be in the Hall of Fame. Barry Bond should. Kurt Schilling yeah, absolutely. can go kick rocks. Kurt Schilling <laughs> blocked me on Twitter because uh, he said something super racist like 10 years ago. A shocker, I know. And I responded with something like, hey, that's pretty fucked up. And also, I don't think the blood on your sock was real. And I was blocked <laughs> instantly. <laughs> Just like in seconds. Talk about subverting the narrative. Right. Uh, no, I think. So I say as a number, I think seven. I think. I also. I wait. I have a question for you guys. If it's 10, let's say Bobby was a really late call up. Uh, I, I like that I'm picking on you for this, but let's say Bobby was a really late call up. No, he had you like just know six that stuff plays. You just know that absolutely the nose plays. Uh, he let's say six at the end of 2021, and then his first four starts of 2022, all perfect, and then he vanishes. Right? Like, mm, do see, we that's think, hurting the case. That's definitely okay. Hurting that's my the question. Case. It hurts the case if it's over two seasons compared to ten in one season. You think? Yes. Really? Why? <laughs> I don't know. Why does that matter at all? <laughs> it just does. I don't know. Uh, well, the thing about if you do, based on my own criteria, if you do six in one season, you win that Cy Young. And if you do four in the next season, you also win that Cy Young, which means <laughs> right. you got two Cy Youngs. That's helping your, that's helping your Hall of Fame candidacy. That that's is. the same amount of Cy Youngs as Jacob deGrom. And Justin Verlander, both of whom are <laughs> almost certainly getting in the Hall of Fame. Um, no, it doesn't, help. it doesn't help the Hall of Fame case, I don't think. It doesn't matter if you do it consecutive seasons or if you do it all in the same season although so I if you really it to want it to be wild you play 10 seasons one game and pitched in each one. of them yes wow that i mean that would be the most impressive of that would be amazing all, all of them the rest of the time you like spend uh on lake como and you fly into pittsburgh <laughs> once a year to throw a perfect game for the pirates and then you go back to lake como i and mean there's that's like a definite hall of famer that's like 100 percent of the ballot right there oh 100 and there's also like rumors that for example that like Oh, you know, he just deals with so much injury, but you're actually just like drinking a Corona by a pool in fucking like out Los Alamitos, California. I'm, yeah, I'm Vin Dieseling it in Fast and Furious. <laughs> hey, man, best best shape of your life, right? Every year, that's whatever it takes. I just got one in me, and I got to get it all out at once. <laughs> I would also really like this because every sing- real quick, every single like spring training, there'd be talk about like this is the year that he pitches more than once, and every year you just make one start and vanish. <laughs> Or if, like, by year seven, they were like, okay, we know that they're only going to bring him in for one, and we're pretty sure it's going to be a perfect game at this point. <laughs> when does the team deploy him? Yeah, that's a really good question. Like, oh, do you hold out hoping that you get to the playoffs, but then knowing that you could just waste a perfect game that year for the dude if he doesn't pitch at all? Yeah, it could be not matter at all if you're, like, 10 games under 500 by August. But what if you make the... The, the true scenario would be let the guy be a free agent and let him pitch in the wild card game, but then you would know which oh, team man. would win each time. Right. What if he just became like the baseball mercenary? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. he just he just title hunting? Oh man, that'd be amazing. There'd be like rules invented that said you couldn't sign a free agent <laughs> yes. after the end of the regular season. Absolutely. They would have to do that. Because <laughs> this guy would be just ruining the sport. Alex, what's the number for you for the Hall of Fame? I'm going to go lower than you. I If a guy... If a guy throws like like six or seven straight perfect games, 
vote him in. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm also a big hall guy, you know, where I'm kind of like this, this player made me feel big hall guy. This player made me feel tingly things in my stomach when I was a kid. So yeah, put him in Eric Chavez. Scott Hatterberg. Let's go brother. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) But like the fact that there's so much universal, like appeal to this sort of thing, like regardless of, of who you are as a fan, right? This would be the biggest story in the history of sports. Yes. He'd be the most important baseball player of all time. It's like it's like if Sid Finch, the of the notorious like Sports Illustrated hoax, was like a real person, yep. right? This right. guy who trains in Tibet and is born in England and is you know th- catchers have to train by dropping baseballs out of a helicopter because he throws so hard and and he just comes out of nowhere for the Mets, yeah, seven straight perfect games and then disappears back to Tibet to finish his at a yoga career i don't know god think about how many podcasts would be spurned out of this it'd be awful oh god yeah he would do you uh, he'd probably be like one of the 13 best athletes in 21st century american history just uh, tier one on the pyramid (laughs) (laughs) okay that's our cue my number is 10 (laughs) alex's number was six shocker's number was seven i feel like i feel good about all of those i wouldn't be mad if he made it in on any of those criteria uh, we're going to take a hard pivot and I want to talk about the Super League that was not last week, that was and then was not last week. Shocker is uh, a big soccer fan and also has written a ton about soccer. Um, so I'll just let you share the details of it first. The reason for the listeners, if you don't know about it, that I want to talk about it is because it's an interesting story in sports finance, sports business, how greedy owners operate and how the different parameters of the countries and the leagues that they're situated in uh, then spurn fan reactions. So MLB is like already what the Super League was, which is why I want to talk about this. But I'll let you share the details of what happened last week first, the news of it all. Sure. And, and uh, we already have a baseball connection with John Henry as well. So 12 of the biggest soccer clubs in the world and the wealthiest soccer clubs in the world being the big six in England uh, three Italian teams, Juve and the two Milan teams, and then three Spanish teams, uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, decided in secret uh, to really follow through on this thing that's been rumored and floated for about 20 years, uh, forming a Super League, a breakaway league not controlled by UEFA, where these teams essentially could be guaranteed Champions League-type profits every year without actually having to spend on good players and fielding competitive teams. Um, it is something that has been rumored to have been pushed pretty heavily by the three American owners in this group, uh, Stan Kroenke, uh, Jay Glazer, and your guy, John Henry, uh, who kind of looked at this soccer thing and thought like, well, we don't have like the historical and cultural tie to this. We're just in this to make cash, which, you know, that's what billionaires do, but also had this big issue. It's like, why do I have to spend money to make even more money? Why can't I just make money for doing nothing? And so they kind of created this idea of a breakaway league they lied to FIFA and lied to UEFA about it for years. And then uh, uh, really, the other than the three Americans, the real kind of head haunters of this were Florentino Perez from uh, Real Madrid and Andrea Agnelli from Juventus, who were taking a lot of flack for this. But basically, this idea that these 12 teams uh, would break off and form the Super League. Uh, there would originally be 15 uh, you know, power permanent founders, and then five teams would have the chance to cycle in every year. Effectively, teams that are upset that they're only making $500 million a year and want to make $501 million a year. 
That so, seems reasonable to me. <laughs> I don't. I don't really see the issue. It's a million they dollars. Wanna, what are we talking about money. here? It's like, yeah, right. And at the expense of the entire structure. And a lot of this also ha- comes out of factors that don't totally exist in American sports. Like, you know, so much of this has to do with the fact that the Premier League has the best TV deal of any sport league in the entire world. You know, for as much money as Barcelona and Real Madrid make. Um, you you have a mid-table uh, English club making almost as much money just because they happen to get revenue sharing from the Premier League, right? And so you throw in COVID and a decreased profits. And then on top of that, uh, the fact that Champions League profits really can affect the bottom line so much. Like in the same way that the, there was that one season where because the NBA Finals was a sweep or went to five games, like every team in the NBA actually had like $2 million less to play around with in their cap than they thought they were going to because there were fewer playoff games to make more money. Uh, if a team makes the Champions League, the the effective boon for their bottom line for the next season is insane. And so basically, this is a way to get these kind of established clubs the chance to say, we make all of this money anyway, and we don't have to actually worry about fielding Finishing a team that could make... Four. Exactly. Your Arsenals, your Tottenham's, your whatever who are just like, just let me cash these checks and not have to care. Yeah. So I'm glad that you brought up John Henry specifically because it's interesting how he situates into this. He is the owner of Liverpool Football Club, which is on a bit of a heater. In the last couple of years, they've really turned things around and they are printing money. And he's also the owner of the Boston Red Sox who have been printing money you know, forever, despite the fact that they it took them 100 years to break their curse. Um not actually 100 years. I, I know. I can do math, but I just don't feel like doing it right now. Um, Major League Baseball already is this. You know, there's 30 teams, not 12. And they're only pulling from one country. But this is what those... This is what the Super League is basically aspiring towards. It's the type of monopolistic control over a sport that, as Americans, we're already desensitized to. We're already accustomed to. And... I just thought that it was so, you know, fan reaction was was wonderful by all of the fans of the, especially the English teams, protesting and forcing Chelsea to be the first team to pull out. And then I believe Manchester City was the second team to pull out. Chelsea was the first team to announce. City was the first team to do it, uh, actually, like to f- formally submit the paperwork. Right. And in large part due to the big backlash of all of the fans, the media, and the, the players. Pe- people, Let's not forget the players. The players as well. And people literally in the streets like protesting this. And it just goes to, like, I just thought that it was funny in a dark way, like how, um, how, how different this felt to those fans and how, like, run of the mill this sort of treatment and behavior feels to fans of baseball. Because what you're describing, a, a super league of, of 12 teams or a super league of 30 teams and only some of them try year to year and they rake in the same amount of profit no matter what is like quite literally what we talk about every week on this podcast right like the rays can we all these stories about the rays with their nothing uh payroll and still competing and whatever because they're gritty it's like no the rays cash 70 million dollars a year in revenue sharing bro (laughs) every single year without having to try like the tigers have been god awful for the last four or five years and they're making just as much money as the dodgers are and actually making more profit because the dodgers are actually spending on a competitive team well not quite not not actually the dodgers are making more money because of sure they don't have to share all of their revenue but yes your point is well yeah it it uh 
you know, like ratio wise relative to each other. <laughs> right. Relative to their size. Sure. I think the there like there's a couple things to think about and why this happened and why it failed, right? Like so that's that's one. The other thing that's I think plays a really important thing here that is the exact opposite of baseball is uh the baseball players association is immensely powerful. I'd argue it's the strongest sports union in America, right? The soccer, the FIFA Pro, whatever the players association is unbelievably weak. It might as well not exist. And as a result, like so when you saw players kind of rallying against the Super League, it happened very grassroots. It was uh, Liverpool's uh, Captain Henderson uh, going around and talking to players and rallying other captains to be like, we have to put out a statement. It's Liverpool's players doing that um, because the players weren't ever consulted, right? And uh, our friend Ryan O'Hanlon, who I know has been on this podcast uh, and used to work with us, Bobby at the Ringer, on his own podcast today said something I think I thought was really poignant, which was that... um, there was a window for the Super League if they were better managed or understood how to communicate to find, you know, two or three players to put a video out and be like, we like the Super League. It's going to make things competitive and great. And even if the split between players who hated it and players who supported it was like 99 to 1 or 98 to 2, publicly, if two or three big name players support it, you have in the narrative split the players, right? You fraction their power, which is not something that also would have existed if there was a players union because a players union would have said on that very first day we're against this as a whole and this is where we stand and that's that it wouldn't have had to come down to a random captain being like we should probably say something about this this is fucked up <laughs> and also they probably that super league wouldn't have happened in the first place because the owners wouldn't have had either the gall to go through with it or the gall to go through with it without inviting the players to the table to negotiate how it would look and at that point, it probably looks 80% different than what we actually got in that glorious 48 hours of just pure chaos. It sounds like uh, it sounds like European soccer players have something to learn on the labor side of things from uh, American baseball players. And American baseball fans have a lot to learn about direct action and holding <laughs> owners' feet to the fire from European soccer fans, right? Because this is like, you actually can put pressure on these people, right? They are not immune to this sort of thing. Tweeting about it is not necessarily a thing that happens, but if you actually go up and fucking protest these people, like they are, they're terrified. Like they obviously, they don't care about fans on an individual level, but there is collective power there, right? And there is there is power in coming out and saying, no, we we won't stand for this. We, as your consumer base, are are opposed to this whole idea. I think the remarkable constant in the whole equation is just how the owners behave. Like all owners want to behave the same. Like they they only know how to press one button and that one button is completely monopolized and own every aspect of the sport. This is something that we've talked about a lot in the last couple of years with Manfred's slogan of one baseball where he's like there's one baseball we're all trying to bring it under the umbrella. I'm like, well, you know, in your PR lab where you um, you know, cooked that statement up. You thought that that sounded really good because, like, oh, we're all together, we're all holding hands, and we're singing kumbaya, and we're playing baseball. But in my view, that sounds like you're just trying to completely lay waste to all other forms of baseball, so that you can have your own, you know, antitrust exempt free reign over this sport, and then you own it, and then can then, uh, you know, exploit it to your monetary gains forever and 
this is the impulse that all billionaires have towards the things that we love, whether these things are sports or whether these things are, you know, entertainment, whether they're TV or movies or whatever. Everybody wants to own and exploit them. And in this case, the soccer owners tried and failed because like the consumers were just like, no. And it's more than just consumers too. Like these people literally live and breathe this. Like the Chelsea fans were out. The Manchester City fans, they were out like within, you know, you said this whole thing ended in 48 hours. So they were out within 24 hours, literally protesting in the streets. And it's just, it's a a level of engagement on the consumer side of a sport that both felt surprising and inspiring to me. The thing that's really wonderful about this as as a fan of sport is, you know, like I said, they've been talking about this for more than two decades. This has been rumored forever. But they blew it so badly that I'd be shocked to see this come back in a couple of years. Like there was a world where they had like not blown it as badly. And, you know, UEFA statement was like, we look forward to working with this teams to find like a negotiable, like equitable solution here that, you know, maybe in five years we see the reemergence of the Super League. If this thing comes back in the next decade or two or in this generation, like I'd be shocked because they just totally fucked it so badly. Alex, should we do a, like a gag announcement where we say that we're breaking Major League Baseball off to have relegation? Like we've announced with the Yankees, Mets, and like ten other teams that we're starting a new league that has relegation to promote more competition. That would be like just as well thought yeah. out as this Super League thing seemed to be. The Pawtucket Sox taking <laughs> yeah. on the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, you know, just as and maybe better thought out. You know, maybe that's a conversation <laughs> we should kickstart. Um, okay, Shocker Saman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing both your perfect game theory and also your extensive knowledge of international football. Uh, it's much appreciated, and it was great to chat with you. Thanks for letting me monologue. It's been good seeing you guys. All right, Alex. Thank you so much to Shocker Saman big soccer podcast now baseball should become soccer question mark is that our new slogan anyway mm-hmm. uh three up three down i want you to go first and i want you to start with up first up for me this week fun rookies in the year 2021 i am loving these major league debuts that have been happening as of late i'm not even talking about anyone in particular i just there have been a lot that have jumped off the uh off the scoreboard off the box score to me um there was aaron northcraft who pitched a you know couple couple clean innings against the against the dodgers last night there was kent emmanuel as well who made his major league debut uh coming in for to relieve jake odorizzi I believe, uh, in the first inning, eight and two thirds, two runs. That's just your major league debut is like complete game in relief. That's sick as fuck. (laughs) It just reinforces my idea that like there are a couple wires that have gotten crossed in baseball. Like when we, you know, we're picking up from 2019 basically on, on what a full season of major league baseball looks like. And you know, there are still some things that are turned on their heads. So it's quite possible that we are going to get a string of perfect games here in this season. I, if there's a year that it's going to happen, 
it may be this one. I'll um I'll field bets for that if you want. I'll be the casino on that. I'll take I'll take the no uh, if you want to take the yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first yeah, up for I don't me, I'm that confident. First up for me this week is just just Fernando. Nando. Everything that he did in this Dodgers Padres series, which is still going on, they're playing later tonight. So we won't be talking about the Sunday game, or we're not re- really even going to dive into this series um, too specifically like we did last week because we spent a lot of time on that and we had a bunch of other stuff to talk about this week. But last week, you'll remember, Alex, I said, I'm excited to see how the different characters slot themselves into this burgeoning rivalry or like burgeoning competitive series of 19 games this year, whatever you want to call it. If you're a Dodgers fan, you don't want to admit that this is a rivalry, whatever, it's fine. It is a rivalry. Uh, and I was like, is Tatis just going to take over multiple games? And then in this series, the, literally the following weekend, he get, hits two home runs in back-to-back games. So four home runs total in only two games. Uh, two of them coming off Trevor Bauer and then uh, leading into the, the dumbest Twitter back and forth that we've seen in, in quite a bit. Uh, Trevor Bauer remains shitty as a person. <laughs> but, I mean, he was just electric. And it's just everything that we could have ever wanted and a baseball player right there. And I'm thrilled. I mean, obviously, there are so many more amazing parts of this rivalry. The Dodgers are an incredible baseball team in their own respect. The rest of the Padres are really entertaining. But he's just transcendent. And I'm so happy to get to watch him in these shining moments like this, covering his eyes. He's rounding first base. after the second home run, turning to his bench and hyping them up and yelling and screaming. It's just, it's very doing fun. The, doing the, uh, the, uh, the Connor McGregor strut after he crosses the plate. Yeah. Tatis was actually by uh, number two on my up this week. So that's, Oh great. Know, Knock him out. Perfect. We're, we're knocking him out two and run right there. You know, there was a, a suggestion that, you know, was, was Tatis st- stealing signs? Did he look down at the catcher to see what Bauer was going to throw? Um, to that, I say, I sure hope so. I'm in. That's. I mean, I'm protect okay. Your, protect your signs better. That's, yeah, pretty, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, Tatis is good. Great for the game. We love it. Okay, second up for me this week, since that was your second up, mm-hmm. is just just it's just another individual player, and his name is Jacob Degrom. Um. I try not to spend too, too much time just talking about Mets games that I watch, but DeGrom is just on another level right now, and I would be remiss to not say that and talk about how much joy he brings me, because I felt like I felt like a little kid yesterday watching him, man. Like, he struck out 15 in a complete game, uh, no runs. This is his third straight game of 14 strikeouts or more. 15 strikeouts is his career high. He has struck out 50 batters in his first four starts that's 101 batters face 50 strikeouts he's just on another level on a level that i've never had the privilege of getting to watch and certainly i've never had the privilege of getting to root for despite the fact that the mets have had some incredible pitchers in my lifetime so i just i'm in awe of him every single time he goes out there and you know like sometimes he seems in awe of himself like he doesn't even you know in his postgame presser he was basically like I felt like my stuff was really good in the bullpen, which made me nervous because there have been other starts in my career where I thought my stuff was really good in the bullpen and it didn't play in the game. 
but today it just worked out. So he just seems like he can't believe what's going on either. And I think that it's amazing. So it's appointment viewing for everybody, not just Mets fans. Like you, you should, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't watch Mets games, that's fine. They're terrible to watch most of the time. But you should be watching Jacob DeGrom starts. It's it's baseball history. I, I keep thinking to myself, like, the Mets are going to find a way to, you know, screw this up, right? Like, mess with his mechanics, like, over-exert him, overuse him, induce some sort of injury. Like, just looking at track record as far stop, as pitchers stop, go. Stop talking about it. Stop it. All I'm, all I'm saying is, it, dude I has know. been remarkable. Like, remarkably consistent. And, like, seemingly, like, getting better. You know, he's at, he's at 33 right now. And as a better pitcher in his 30s than he was in his 20s, you know? He's just like the, ex- like, he's the type of pitcher who is an exception to prove the rule of, like, Mets screwing things up. Like, he is, I know this is a serious compliment to throw towards a pitcher in the Mets organization, but he's like, he's like Seaver, man. Like, he is that good. And now, the Mets traded away Seaver, and they ruined that twice. Um, but... It, se- it would seem that they have learned their lesson and they're just getting out of their own way as it pertains to Jacob DeGrom, who is just a special talent, the type that you just you just never see. Honestly, you just don't see guys like this come around very often. Uh, what is third up for you this week? Third up for me is just more appointment viewing because that's our, that's our role here is just point out the good players and say, reaffirm what everyone else thinks, which is make sure you watch them. Byron Buxton, baby. Let's go. I thought about putting him on here, too. Yeah, had to do it. Um, This is the year. It's got to be the year, right? I can't, you can't really say, like, we're waiting for him to break out because he's put together, like, an actual, like, legitimately good baseball career that has largely been hampered by by injury and inconsistency, but still one of the most toolsy players in all of baseball. Like, we're just talking scouting, baby. Let's. He's got a. He's got a good face. He wears so, jeans well. Yeah, exactly. Looks like Fabio out there. Like, I just seeing glimpses of of him and the the like immense trout level potential that he shows. Trout like Griffey level potential that he shows of just light tower power, absolute forced to be reckoned with uh in the outfield right to the extent where like the same comps go to griffey for his you know somewhat inability to stay healthy right because he goes all out which i absolutely love and respect as a player so you know as i watch him this year i i hold my breath a little bit because i i want him to to be able to put together that that full healthy season because if he does he's you know he's MVP material. This is year over year MVP, Gold Glove, All Star. If he can genuinely stay on the field, that's I don't know what else to say. Yes, I completely agree. Um, he's been amazing this year. Uh, let's go my to my third up this this week, which I really wrestled. I wanted to put the video of John Henry having to apologize for the Super League as my third up, but we spent plenty of time talking about the Super League already. If you if you haven't watched it yet, go watch John Henry apologizing for the Super League. It's amazing to watch the billionaire owners eat it. Um, but my third up this week is Javier Baez's projected stat line for 2021 <laughs> based on what he's done so far. 
if the season ended today, Alex, and you extrapolated Javier Baez's numbers out to a full 162-game season, he would hit 51 home runs, steal 43 bases, have 145 RBIs, score 102 runs, strike out 290 times, and walk nine times for a total of 5.1 fan graphs, wins above replacement. That would be the coolest season in baseball history. (laughs) (laughs) 290 strikeouts to nine walks. I mean, like, this is boom bust to a level we've never seen before. Yeah, two true outcomes, honestly. Like, he is just hitting massive bombs or looking like a high school kid trying to hit Major League Baseball pitching. It's just, like, it's weird to watch because, you know, three years ago, Javi had an MVP campaign. Didn't win it, but he was one of the best players in baseball. And he obviously had a terrible season last year. He was like one of the worst hitters in baseball last year. One of the worst qualified hitters in baseball last year. But he clearly has a ton of talent. And this stat line is just frankly bizarre, but like very indicative of what we're seeing over the arc of Javier Baez's career. I hope that he can get back on track. It obviously doesn't seem like he's going to just start walking randomly, but at least taking enough pitches outside the zone to where he can get the rest of his game up a little bit, where he can make a little bit better contact and not strike out the equivalent of 290 times per season. Like that that would smash the major league record. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Adam Dunn without the walks is. <laughs> it's not good. Not, not, a, not great. Yeah. Not great when you're. Mark Reynolds uh, plus defense. Right. Exactly. Not great when you're, uh, when your walk rate is, you know, down year over year over the last three years and your strikeout rate is up year over year over the last three years to the point where you're at like 50%. Not, not great. I like, I was, you know, if I'm a Cubs fan, I'm a little worried. If I'm like Cubs, you know, forget if I'm a Cubs fan, if I'm Javier Baez's agent, I'm a little worried. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You say, dude, stop pressing so much. Honestly. Stop trying to hit a home run every time. Just, uh, just see the ball, hit the ball. You know, he just needs to call a rod. Maybe mm-hmm. we can Back to basics. Maybe we can get Javi and Arod on this pod together, and they can just kind of chat it out. We can just step aside. Yeah, exactly. We're just giving Javier Baez's problem is that he is just watching too much film. I guess. Not okay, down this week. Down this week for you. Down this week for me uh, is the the result of a game from about. Uh, eight minutes ago, ten minutes ago or so, the A's lost. Finally, it happened. Their win streak ended at thirteen games. It's okay. It it never really felt real to begin with. I'm not gonna lie. I I was just kind of like this fluke, right? I mean, A's lose six straight, and everyone's like, so they're they're not gonna win at all this season, right? And then, you know, 13-game winning streak, and it's like, they're never going to lose. And I'm like, this is... Don't get my hopes up like this. This is lame. This is an awful way to watch baseball as a, as this sort of roller coaster where week to week, I don't know if we're the best team in baseball or the worst team in baseball. <laughs> like, give me the, give me the you know, the twins, and we'll just be 500 week in and week out. I don't know? think At least I know what to expect. To, twins fans listening to this are not going to like that take. I got news. For you. Just, They've looked really saying. bad for the last week or two. Um, yeah, the, what a streak, though. 
Yeah. And and like coming back in ridiculous fashion, winning on walk off errors, and it's just it's mm-hmm. just it's just the most baseball shit that there could possibly be. Um, yeah, I know. Quick question: and, like, As with, I watch Marcus Simeon taking that bat for the Blue Jays to the right here, um, you think he would be good on that team? You think you think if they should have re-signed him for a couple years, maybe? Do I think Marcus Simeon would have been good on the A's? Huh? Well, if you look at track record, I think he might have done all right. Um, he's having an all right year this year. Not great, but better than Elvis Andrews. Ouch. Yeah. Love the dude, but uh, not, not look great. Don't don't exactly like watching him play defense. Wasn't the reason for the 13 game win streak. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. Mm -hmm. First down for me this week. I'll keep this brief. Although this is a topic that definitely warrants a longer conversation and we'll put some links in the description. Um, There is a petition going around for Kurt flood to be in the baseball hall of fame. So first down for me this week is that Kurt flood is not in the baseball hall of fame. It just goes to show you what the Baseball Hall of Fame actually stands for and what the gatekeepers don't think is worth opening the gate for. Kurt Flood, obviously, we've talked about on this show before when we've talked about the history of free agency, the history of baseball labor. Um, He was the first person to legally challenge the reserve clause along with the head of the Major League Baseball Players Association, Marvin Miller. Flood actually ended up losing the case, but it was the precedent that was set in, in Flood's challenge that eventually led to baseball winning free agency and getting the reserve clause banned, I guess, outlawed, overruled. Um, He is iconic to the history of baseball, essential essential to the history of baseball. We don't have the version of the game that we have now with the exciting players getting to dictate the, the state of the game, even to the limited extent that they do compared to other sports without Kurt Flood. So put him in the fucking Hall of Fame. Like, I don't care what it takes. Special committee put him on the ballot. I don't care what numbers he has. The Hall of Fame is supposed to tell a story. You know, we just talked about the Hall of Fame and the narrative that it takes to get in there with Shakar Saman. The Hall of Fame is supposed to tell a story about what we value as worthy of remembering. And so, if you don't think this is worthy of remembering, we have some larger questions to interrogate. So, just put the guy in the Hall of Fame. Big big Hall of Fame episode. For us, uh, this is the the podcast that in when like the Hall the of Fame inductions happen, way. yeah, we don't, talk yeah, about like it. we don't talk about it at all. By and large, like are not interested in participating in the discourse, but it does matter to a lot of people. And I've never been. I would, I would like to go. I don't care about the minutia of arguing whether X player deserves to get in or Y player deserves to get in. But, but you're right that characters like Flood, who are absolutely essential to the arc of baseball and are part of the reason why it exists today, whether you are pro-labor or not, whether you are, you know, a lefty podcaster who just fires off tweets at, at midnight or not, like, you should have a vested interest in in celebrating and remembering um, his his legacy. Absolutely. Okay. Down for you. Number two. Number two for me this week. Is uh is more A's news. This uh does this guy watch not the A's? Dang. Yeah, this this guy a fucking A's fan. Um is they, they released their 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 term sheets for the ballpark that is being proposed God, dude, uh, to be built. We've been at talking Howard about Terminal. this ballpark since episode one of this podcast, and we still don't even know when it's gonna go up or where like I'm still not certain where it's gonna be built. You know, it it does seem like every few months 
there's a bit of news come out that comes out that says, oh, they've cleared this hurdle, they've done this, but there's still a laundry list of of things they have to do, which makes sense. You know, I trust and respect the democratic process here. You know, as a good as a good citizen, as whatever whatever our city council says, uh, it works works for me. I guess you, you elected um, them, but <laughs> let's talk cost real quick. This is a much longer conversation. So twelve billion dollars. How do we feel about that as a as a price tag for this for this whole project? I'm gonna we we can put it in context. That's um, how much it's gonna cost. To build the whole stadium, or that's how much the city that council is, the, that, is putting forward. No, so that is the that is the cost for the entire development. This okay. includes both the 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 billion dollars in private financing. Um, this includes whatever money is allocated from taxpayers, which is going to happen um, for the um, infrastructure. You know, zhuzh that has to happen. In the area, I think that that's how it's written into the contract. It's just zhuzh up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's there's some really good reporting that already exists on this that you know, I will I will link to in the description. Um, some of it comes from New Ballpark, who has been documenting this process for a decade at this point. There's there's also some words in the San Francisco Chronicle about this, but I do want to read to you from Roland Lee, who uh, who, who writes for the Chronicle. Putting it into context, the most valuable Bay Area building right now is Apple Park, which is which costs five billion dollars. So this is thrice that. Hudson Yards is the most expensive U.S. private development ever, and that was twenty-five billion dollars. So this is half that. This is an insane amount of money that, like, the mayor who has largely been vocally supportive of it, like, balked at. And was like, we we don't really think that you guys are giving us a fair a fair bargain here, especially when they're asking for the city council to basically kick in a billion dollars for this. Yeah, it just comes back to the same stuff that we've said about this time and time again. Like, why is the city council putting money towards this? I understand that there's like a sort of veneer of, oh, well, it'll revitalize this area or like we'll get some benefit from it. So we should at least kick in a certain portion of what it takes to build it. And I'm like, no, you know, like you're not actually going to get any of the profits from it. Anything that you will gain from it in terms of like developments growing around it, people wanting to be in that area more. That's just the stuff that you get because you're a city. Like that's the stuff that you get because your city exists and you maintain other parts of the city. Like you get the benefit of the commerce that happens in that city. Like that's, that's the deal we've bargained for here. And now like, private entities are asking for even more in places that they shouldn't in in a place might I add that has a lot of other issues that a billion dollars could solve like a gigantic homeless problem a gigantic public housing deficit that could help solve the first problem that I just mentioned like yeah right I mean and and the where I get hung up on this is just all the kind of ancillary like extra added bonuses that are a part of the ballpark, right? That's like, you know, we're going to build 3,000 affordable housing units too. You know, we're going to build these, we're going to build apartment buildings. We're going to build hotels. We're going to build, it's this massive complex that's like, I look, I love the A's, but are are we really just, we're just handing them the keys to to the city here to redevelop this whole entire waterfront? 
area. I don't know. Well, it's it very complicated. So, it, and it seems so easy to approve a billion dollars for like a business as long as it comes along with these things. But so then why can't we approve a billion dollars for those things directly? It's like, oh, because you want to actually actually want to have a buffer, uh, a billion dollar commercial buffer in between actually solving these problems. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. Right. Yeah. And obviously, and like, you know, the A's are kicking money into the, you know, like a public fund as well. So like there's money, you know, exchanging hands at a ridiculous rate. At least that's the proposal right now. Just yeah, billion dollars bouncing back and forth. It's like, guys, can we, can we like take a slice of the pie? Small slice, small, tiny slice and just, yeah, throw it at mental health and homeless services. That's conversation for for another day but we'll we'll see i don't i don't expect much movement on this anytime soon so what is next down for you um next down for me is i just wanted to highlight a statistic from a piece that former guest of this podcast and friend of the show june lee wrote in espn it's about kim ang's hiring and it's a it's a very well reported feature that i think everybody should go read it's about the more general climate for women and non-men in baseball hiring um because obviously at the time we talked about how this was an amazing moment for both women in baseball and asian americans in baseball when kim ang was hired and it's just such a well-deserved position for her but it was not by any means indicative of of a of the problem being solved and there's this there's this statistic in june's piece about how much further hiring needs to go for non-men in baseball um, he says in 2016, 106 women worked in baseball operations roles with nine in on-field positions and 12 in director positions or above, according to Major League Baseball. In 2020, the number of women in baseball operations roles increased to 225, with 17 women in director's roles or above. From 2016 to 2020, the number of jobs in baseball operations increased from 4,442 to 4,951, with 23.8% of new jobs going to women. That's the progress? Like that's it getting better? I mean, we just we just got to stop congratulating Major League Baseball for literally anything they do until this stuff gets so much better. Two hundred and twenty-five women in baseball operations roles out of almost five thousand jobs. What are we doing here? Hey, man, merit merit-based hiring, right? What is what have what have they done besides? be systematically excluded from any and all opportunities to have legitimate growth in the sport of baseball. And then a couple paragraphs down, buoyed by Aang, MLB scored a C for gender hiring in the 2021 racial and gender report card from the University of Central Florida, a grade that seems palatable only when compared to what the league received in 2020 and F. Pretty bad. Pretty bad. That's my second down this week. Uh, Okay, what is your third down? Okay, last down for me. This week, our boy, the, the 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 hardworking journalist over at SNY, Andy Martino. Oh my God! Had a banger of an article this week about Glaber Torres and how they should consider benching, even optioning him, because of his lack of hustle and his his lack of grit. I I don't understand what compels sports columnists, baseball columnists, baseball writers to pull this kind of shit, right? This is this this comes from Glaber Torres not hustling out a kind of a check swing little dribbler in front of the plate. He just kind of jogged down to first. 
And Yankees Twitter, Andy Martino, got after him about it and said, you know, quote, it's not a birthright to start games for the Yankees, even if you're one of the most wow. talented players on the team. Wow. Wow. You know, <laughs> I didn't Andy even Martino, see it that. Is, that is it's, really extremely charged language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Andy, it's not a birthright to just write about baseball either. No, no, but, no. Like, <laughs> if, if this was merit-based and effort-based, I'd, I think someone would be out of a job. But you know. Dude, there are, I mean, there are reasonable critiques to have of Gleyber Torres, like he should just play second base because that's his more natural position. Mm-hmm. But is it Gleyber Torres' fault that Brian Cashman decided not to re-sign Didi Gregorius? Or trade for Francisco Lindor? No. So everybody needs to get over themselves. Glaber's going to be fine. This is the guy yeah. who hit 40 home runs a couple of years ago. He's a, we, we really need to bookmark these and and have our own old takes, old takes exposed here. Because this is the kind of shit that it's looks not so a birthright. foolish it's in September. It's not a birthright to start games for the Yankees. Yep. Glaber hasn't, hasn't worked at all. He's never practiced baseball. He just walked in. He was like, it's my birthright. I'm going to be the Yankees mm-hmm. shortstop. Get the f- I know. Sorry. Yeah. It's too late in the yeah. podcast for me to get this bad. Uh, yeah, it's stupid. Okay, whatever. That's fine. Uh, what's your third down? My third down this week is as certain stadiums are reopening with limited capacity or more full capacity or whatever, um, and as you and I have now been vaccinated and we're getting to the point where I would start to feel comfortable going to a baseball game, um, the ticket prices are deranged. Like, it, it's like $400 to get to go see a baseball game at Dodger Stadium right now. And maybe that's just because the Padres were in town this weekend and I was looking at that, but I'm talking like the normal seats that would usually be like 30 bucks are like hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And look, please don't get in our mentions talking about supply and demand. I understand there is less supply and there is more demand because people just miss baseball for a year. But guess what? It's a legal monopoly, so they get to choose the ticket prices. It's not based on supply and demand. It's based on whatever the owners decide to say. Even if you look on like the Dodgers website, it's still it's still unbelievably expensive. And I'm I'm just like, hey man, we all just had to go a whole year without getting to go to a baseball game in person. There was a pandemic. Individual citizens were hit harder financially than this baseball team was. The least you could do is just be like, leave the ticket prices as expensive as they were before all of this shit. Yeah, it's what's especially weird is that the, the the structure and the way that the tickets are being sold is just changes. It varies team to team, right? So for the Mets game uh, this upcoming Tuesday against the Red Sox, you can buy a a four seat pod for eight hundred dollars, eight hundred bucks. That is to watch David Peterson versus Garrett Richards in nosebleeds. No David Peterson slander, please. <laughs> yeah, how's that how's that working out for you so far this year? Okay, that'll do it for tipping pitches this week. <laughs> um thank you for listening. Uh we didn't get to any voicemails this week because we had way too much to get to already, as you can tell by the length of this episode. Um we will do some voicemails next week. We have some some exciting news on the horizon about the Tipping Pitches merch, the Unionize the Miners t-shirts. Please keep your eyes and ears peeled for those. We'll be updating everybody when we have that stuff back up and running, union made, all of that good stuff. Uh, Alex, what what 
what general advice do you want to give the people? Don't look at exit velocity? Yeah, no electronics, honestly. <laughs> uh, just just in general. I'm, I'm concerned about whether tweeting, people are going to be able to find the podcast without electronics. <laughs> yeah, that, that might be a little tough. And just remember, you know, take nothing for granted. This podcast, Bobby, it's not a birthright. You could, I could option you at any moment. I'm just, just saying. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week. He says you're my everything. I love you through everything. I done did everything to him. He forgave me for everything. It's a forever thing. Hate that I treat it like it's a whatever thing. Trust me, boy, this is everything to me. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. So we'll see you next week. See ya.